Hey, it's Nick, and welcome back to But We're Different. Today's show is a rebroadcast of a conversation between Impact's co-owner Marcus Sheridan and Alex B. Sheridan on the Brand and Demand podcast. They cover practical ways to grow your business with content marketing. So if you're looking for strategies and tactics on how to use content to win customers and generate revenue for your business, this one's for you. And as always, the long-form episodes of But We're Different are recorded live every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern. If you'd like to join us, there will be a link in the show notes. And now, on to the show. On this episode of the Brand and Demand Show, we have a content and video legend joining us by the name of Marcus Sheridan. It, Marcus has probably forgotten more about content than most people will learn their entire lives. So I'm excited to have you on the show. Marcus, welcome. Yo, it's going to be a great show. We got a great last name going here today. So let's let's make it happen, brother. Yes, that's right. At the end, we'll reveal if we're actually related by blood or not. It'll be a surprise. You got to stay tuned to the whole episode and find out. But I'm excited for this one, brother. I obviously am a big fan of you. Follow your content. Um, you've just done an, an amazing job in terms of building businesses off the back of content. And so if that's why you're here and you're listening or watching now, and you want to learn more about how to build businesses, drive revenue through content, this is probably going to be one of the most valuable episodes we've ever done. So let's get into it. So Marcus, we're going to talk a lot about content, video, B2B sales. But before we talk about the now, I actually want to go back in time 13 years ago and review, and, or not review, but look at your third video that you posted on YouTube ever, I think. Based on my research, I think this was your third <laughs> video that you ever posted. And let me give the audience some quick context. Marcus has a, back then he's a, and I think you still own a pool company, owner of a pool company, fiberglass pools is what they sell. And um, it's 13 years ago. He decides to start putting out video content. And you would think, I would guess, I don't know the industry that well, but I would guess that 13 years ago, People were not putting out a lot of video content in the industry. And if they were, it was probably sales-based or look at, this is what we sell, here are our products. Marcus's video, when I went and checked though, was four of his kids running across his pool with the pool cover on. And he was talking about the safety you know, of a pool cover to have on there and how strong it is. So Marcus, take us back there. Why did you make that type of content coming out of the gate? I tell you what, it was it was all just so experimental because there was no there was no like handbook for me really to follow at all, right? And I was just I was there was literally times when I was like, I know people ask me all the time, well, could this cover hold my family? So I'm like, well, there's only one way to really show that. And I said, well, how can we make it fun? So I'm like, hey kids, how about we do a race on the on because it's an in-ground pool, it's like yeah. thirty uh, like thirty six feet long or something like that, and so you know the kids race on the pool and it shows how it holds them and the, the video actually did quite well. I don't remember how many views it got and but it was, you know, <clears throat> it was such a glorious time, Alex, and this is important to note because if folks watched my early videos with river pools, they would say. You know, you really weren't that, they, they certainly weren't well-produced. They certainly weren't of high quality. But yet, I look at them today and say, oh, what a win that was for us. What a victory, right? Because we got over a lot of those trepidations. We just started just doing the thing. And that's, in many ways, that's the great divide from those that do amazing things with content and those that don't. They just are so willing to embrace the clunky and the messy that come with things like video because it's not, it's not going to be natural 
for a lot of people at first. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be a 10 out of 10. In fact, it should be a 10 out of 10 probably. And if you get over those things and you say, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to learn as I go and I'm okay with imperfection. It's amazing what you can do. Well, that's one of the reasons I would go. I like going back and looking at people that have made it and been successful. And you look at them now and you're like, wow, you see them on this mountaintop, or at least that's what it appears to be. And then you go back and you look at some of the first few videos that they've made, whether that's someone like you've been doing it for 13 years or me that's been doing it three years, and you see where people started and you realize exactly what you just said. You have to get started. You got to jump in the pool, if you will, get your feet wet. You got to run across the cover. And when I also thought about Marcus, you'll appreciate this as I was watching that video and even some of your other videos and definitely your speaking engagements, I was like, Marcus was actually a original OG for edutainment content. Cause I think, <laughs> I mean, seriously, nowadays people think of like my video, like, you know, they think videos is like, oh, you got to act or do a skit or do something crazy. And I'm like, actually he was doing edutainment 13 years ago because that's what you were educating your customer on the safety and what a cover could hold by making it fun and interactive and people smiled and laughed and had a good time. I did another one. I, I can recall it was, um, uh, uh, can How a many? six year can a six year old vacuum an in ground pool or something like that. <laughs> and it was it was like my son was six at the time. And people yeah. would say to me, ah, it's really complicated to vacuum an in ground pool. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna i I'm gonna have my son do this video and we're just gonna make like make it fun. I'm gonna integrate him into it. And that video was really I mean it did, I don't know, like a couple hundred thousand views or something like that as well, right? And it's just like it's funny how if you can take one in this case, question. I would just always base it, of course, on questions, as you know. But I would say to myself, okay, yep. can I show or can I answer this question in a fun way or in a different way to make the point? And of course, involving kids is always a great way to make a point. And in my case, show the simplicity of the thing. Well, that's it. And that's why I always say with content is like, you've got a message that you're trying to convey to your customer. And that may be to answer a question and maybe to talk through a challenge and maybe to talk through whatever it might be. But the way you deliver that message is whether or not it's going to resonate or hit or they're going to stick with and watch the whole video or cause them to reach out to you. And so that that's what essentially you're doing is you're taking a great message that you want to deliver. But instead of sitting there like this and saying, here's how you can vacuum out your pool, you just put yourself in situations that are a little bit more fun to watch and it's more entertaining. And it's, it resonates with the people because I guarantee probably the people that were buying pools probably had kids too. And so when they sh you showed your six-year-old doing it, they're like, well, I have a six or seven-year-old. Like they, if they can do that, then surely I can do it, right? So cool. Well, there's, a, there's, a, there's one more little just point to this. And you don't have to do this with every video, folks, because uh, you don't, don't feel like you have to have high production or be funny or any of those things. You're going right. to learn as you go and you're going to figure your style out. But um, you know, one of my speaker friends, Andrew Davis, I don't know if you've seen him before, mm -hmm. um, Alex, but he's just really, really talented. And he talks about, he has this one specific keynote that he gives called the curiosity gap. And the curiosity gap is one of the most essential elements of great video to keeping people to the end. So mm -hmm. if you can create a gap at the beginning that lasts to the end where there's curiosity, in other words, are they going to complete the mission? Can this person complete the task? What's going to happen next? If you can create that curiosity gap, you're going to hold the viewer until the end. So in the case of me saying, are you wondering, can my in-ground swimming pool cover actually hold my kids? Well, in this video, <laughs> we're going to have the kids run across the pool 
you're going to see it live and we're going to see it if it actually holds these kids, right? And so that creates a gap because they want to know, how's this going to end? If I say, do you think a six-year-old kid could vacuum an in-ground swimming pool all by themselves? Is that possible? Well, in this video, we're going to figure it out. So once again, creating a gap there that allows the person to say, are they able to do the thing? And then you're going to have great retention with your videos. <laughs> that is gold. If anyone's listening to this right now, like take that and apply that to your video content and text content too, right? The curiosity gap. That's good. I haven't heard that one before. Um, so, so going back again, 13 years ago, you know, it's coming off the back of a, a recession, 2008, 2009 crash. Everyone's businesses took a hit. Definitely the pool industry, I'm sure, took a hit. Your business did. And you're starting to put out content and you've got this idea. You did some research. You're like content marketing. And so if I just answer my customers' questions through content, this could drive business, build trust, credibility at scale. How far along did you get into it before? Because you, do you dove in, like you're like, oh, I'm doing it. I'm going for it. But how far was it into the process where you realize, you realize that, okay, this is working. Like, what were you looking for in terms of signs of success? Because I'm thinking about the people listening and watching right now. They're maybe three months in or two months in or six months in. What, what, and they're wondering, what do I look for in terms of to know if, the, if I'm doing the right thing or if this is going to actually drive revenue or business? Yeah. So, you know, I was, um, if you've read the book, They Ask You Answer, you know that we we just simplified all those complex phrases like inbound marketing, content marketing, social media, all that stuff. And to your point, Alex, I sat there one night and I brainstormed every question I'd ever received that I could think of about an in-ground pool or a fiberglass swimming pool. So that was step number one. Step two, I started answering them. One by one, every single night, I'd sit there and hack out an article or produce a video eventually to the point where for two straight years, this is what I did every single day. We became the most traffic swimming pool company in the world. Now, I knew I was onto something within about three months. And really, I could see it with the first cost article that I did. No swimming pool company in the world at that point had addressed the question, how much does an in-ground pool or how much does a fiberglass pool cost on their website? They were afraid to scare people away. They were afraid of the competition. They were afraid of this idea that every job is different, so it depends. So we just explained all those things. We explained cost factors to drive it up and drive it down, and something really cool happened. Number one, after I wrote this article, within 48 hours, I could see that when people were searching anything to do with how much does an in-ground pool cost, how much does a fiberglass pool cost, we were one of the first ones you saw you know, in organic search results, mm -hmm. right? That's not the only cool part, because the other cool part was people started calling me and literally saying things like, Marcus, I just want to thank you because finally somebody was willing <laughs> to address this question, right? Because if you think about it, has anybody that's listening to this ever been taught how much an in-ground pool should cost? Never have, have you been taught on these things. So just life experience or whatever, but you don't know until you start shopping. And as consumers, as buyers, as shoppers, we hate knowing stuff, especially in this information-driven digital age, 2023 and beyond. We cannot stand the idea of not knowing. And so we don't ignore the questions as businesses. We've got to be willing to lean into them. And so within three months, I knew I was onto something special. Within six months, I'm like, oh, yeah, it's happening. And within 12 months, I said, my life is never going to be the same.
Like That's literally, awesome. I knew my life was never going to be the same. And some people might say, well, that was 13 years ago, Alex. Like, well, what about now? And I'm telling you, to this day, the principles, the framework that is they ask you answer, obsessing over the questions, worries, fears, issues, concerns, addressing the toughest ones like cost and problems and comparisons and reviews and best of questions, the stuff that you've heard me talk about a million times, they are crushing today as much as they've ever crushed. Now, is there some competition in your space where people might have done this well? Sure, but do not base your decisions on how well you teach and how well you inform as to whether or not others are doing it in your industry. It's like somebody walking into your showroom or somebody calling your business and saying, I got a question for you. And you're like, ah, I've had a bunch of my competitors answer it. So why don't you just go ahead and read their website okay. first? And then you can come back to me and we'll talk about doing a deal. Like, huh, what the heck? That's not the way that we think. That's not the way that we should think. Your goal, my goal, ideally should be this. My business is based on trust. That's what it's based on. And so if we want to become the voice of trust in our space, we can't ignore the fundamental questions, worries, and fears that our buyers, our potential customers have. So we're going to address them. We're going to do it through text. We're going to do it through video. We're going to be unbiased. We're going to be transparent. We're not going to hide away. We're not going to bury it you know, under the rug. We're going to come out with it. We're going to own the conversation. We're going to lean into it. And if we do that, we control it. If we control it, now we got a chance to win the day. Mm-hmm. Hope y'all are taking notes on this. This is it. I mean, this is it. This is exactly, this is the framework for a good content strategy. These guys, customers are having these conversations with or without you. They're yep. going through the process of getting educated and doing research and consuming content, getting those answers with or without you. So it's like, do you want to be standing on the sidelines hoping that they come to you after they've done all the research? Or do you want to be the people in the company educating them along the way? I love that, Marcus. I, so let me, let me pivot a little bit here. Modern companies, whether, and I'm talking multi-billion dollar companies to multi-million dollar companies, I'm sure you, you see this too. They struggle with the idea of the whole content marketing and, and personal branding and how, do, how, how does it make money, ROI, all that stuff? And then they look at sales and they go, yeah, we've just always had sales reps and we've just always put people out in the field. And look, I come from B2B sales. I know you're a big sales advocate and, and have a sales background too. And so I under, we understand that. But there's, I, I think it's, the answer is both. But like, if you had to, if a CEO came to you and said, hey, Marcus, we've got to hit revenue goals, win new customers, all that stuff for 2023 and beyond, yeah. And they said, I'm going to give you, you can have your choice to build the team. Do you want three B2B sales reps or do you want three people to build out a content marketing machine? Which one would you take? Yeah. It, 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 so here's what all the studies show us that the average buyer today is 80% through the buyer's journey before they reach out to sales. This, this is what the studies show us. Uh, you might listen to that and say, well, I don't think it's like that in my space, but I'm sure you would agree that it's much higher than it was 10 years ago, 20 years, et cetera. It's been nothing but growing. And so what, what does that mean? It means that you can't continue to invest in sales and invest in marketing and see the two the way you've always seen them. And so if I had to make a choice, yeah, I'm going to have three marketers. And the reason for that is because I know so much of the selling can be done if I, if I take the time to address those questions, those worries, those fears, and I've done that in such a way that they feel like they know me, they know my product, they know my service, 
before they even reach out. Plus, it's the gift that keeps on giving. If you think about a sales rep, again, I'm a sales trainer. I love, I love selling. I love talking about it. I'm a salesperson at heart. But they are only working for you when they're working for you. You produce a piece of content. It is the gift that keeps on giving. It's like the snowball rolling down the hill that you don't have to push. It's just going and it's growing. I mean, I have pieces of content that to this day are generating more than a million dollars a year in new business for my different companies that we produced a decade ago. That's stunning, Alex, right? And like, what's the ROI on that? You know, I've got this one article that I talked to you about, how much does a fiberglass pool cost? Just for my company in Virginia, it's done over $25 million in revenue that it generated. It took me 45 minutes to ride at my kitchen table. Wow. That's, that's wild, a, man. That's unbelievable <laughs> ROI. And so that's why I say, like, I'm looking for evergreen, the gift that keeps on giving. I just have to say this on the side, though. I would bring in on the sales side, a lot of salespeople have gotten fat and since COVID, and a lot of them got to get back to the fundamentals. Uh, sales trainers and great sales training is a lost art. We're seeing it all over the world right now. And so sales teams need to get back to learning how to ask world-class questions and how to have deeper conversations, how to be more consultative. I know that's a total side issue, but I think it's just important to bring up because there's a lot of room for improvement there. For sure it is. So if you're, you know, being that the, the buyer is 80 something percent of the way through now before they talk to a salesperson or get ready to make a decision, what would you say to then to the VP of sales or the sales manager or the sales reps now that are saying, well, what does our role look like and, and what should I be doing as a salesperson? Do I, should I be creating content, building my personal brand on LinkedIn? Should I be using content that the, our company creates to answer the question? Like how, what's my role now? outside of just, you know, in the meeting and, and asking good questions, closing deals, that kind of stuff. Yeah, the great forward-thinking salespeople, sales leaders, sales departments today, they say, okay, number one, we're actually a part of marketing. We're all a part of what's called, what we like to call in my company, the revenue team. And sales is consistently meeting with marketing, saying things like, okay, here's the questions and the worries or the doubts that I'm getting from our, our prospects that we're dealing with. Do we have content on that yet? How could we produce a piece of content? Oh, by the way, I'd love to be a subject matter expert for that particular video that we're missing that would really fill that void within the buyer's journey for our prospects, right? And so salespeople need to see themselves as part of the 80%. At the same time, marketing teams mm -hmm. have to see themselves as accountable for revenue, whereas they can't be doing that fluffy junk they were doing for so long. Marketing, accountable for revenue. Sales accountable for much of that marketing activity. We shouldn't expect marketers to be subject matter experts. We should expect them to be A, good at marketing, and B, good at getting the information out that's needed in the marketplace from the subject matter experts, from the engineers, from the sales team, from the customer service reps. Whoever that those persons are, marketing's job is to draw that information out, get it up on the screen through text, through video, through audio, whatever that thing might be. You do that, you've got to have, you're going to have this incredible symbiotic relationship, and now you're going to start to see what a revenue team can really look like. So that's, that's the missing piece in, in my mind in a lot of bigger companies and smaller companies too, but definitely in corporate America, which is what I came from, and I've worked with some customers in that space. 
they are not treating it like it's a revenue team. They'll hire one social media manager for 80,000 a year and say, go do our social. And they don't talk to the sales team. They don't talk to anybody about the common questions they're getting. They're just post up kind of promotional stuff on LinkedIn. It does nothing. And then they think that content doesn't work. So I love what you said about just, it's gotta be a team effort. You, the sales team is part of the 80%. They're part of that research. It's not marketing going, guessing what they want to hear. No, it's sales sitting down with marketing and going, what, what's coming up in the conversations? What, what challenges are you hearing about? What are they stuck on? What do they need our help? And so I love that, man. It's so beautiful. What do you say to companies that are not adjusting and, and, and say, ah, we're not going to start doing content and that kind of stuff. What do you think happens to these companies over the next three to five years? Yeah, you know, a, a lot of companies allow personal opinions to screw up really smart business decisions. And it's pretty sad. I hear folks say, well, that's not the way we did it, or that's not the way that I do it, or that's not the way it's always been done. And frankly, none of those things matter. I mean, the marketplace doesn't care about my opinion, doesn't care about your opinion, Alex. The marketplace cares about what the marketplace wants. Yep. The quicker we accept that as business leaders, the more successful we're going to be. And it doesn't doesn't help you to sit there in your lounge chair as the tide is rising and saying, you know, I really hope that it doesn't keep rising. It's going to do what it does, like it always does. And you're either going to move your lounge chair, or you're going to get wet. And so when it comes to the way we've got to think as businesses is, okay, do we feel like trust is fundamental to our business? Yes or no? Well, okay. Yes, it is. Do we want to do whatever it takes to become the trusted voice? Yes. Yes, we do. All right. So if we did that thing, would it induce more trust? Well, yes. Okay. Once you've established that, then you say, well, how can we do it effectively or safely? It's no different than somebody says that's a B2B service. I can't talk about cost and price. BS. Would it induce more trust if you were able to talk about it? Well, yeah, but no, no, no. Stop at the butt. So now that we know it would induce more trust, how can we do it in a safe and effective way that really makes the buyer say, man, I really appreciate that. I don't have an exact price, but at least they've taught me more than anybody else has been willing to teach me in their space. That's powerful. Mm -hmm. That's what we're talking about here, right? I mean, I think about the, the perfect title of the book really would have been, they ask, you address it really, really well. But that's not <laughs> a catchy title. So it's, they ask, you answer. People get caught up on the answer side of this, Alex. Not... You can't always answer everything, but you can address everything. Hmm. And if you are willing to have that mindset and not ignore those fundamental things that your buyers want, now you're going to be really, really off to the races. But to your point, Alex, many companies are going to be left behind in the next five years, just as were many were left behind in two, you know, shoot. I mean, uh, in 2006, um, let me see. Sorry, 1996-97. I'm going way back now. The internet, yeah. That's when electronic mail came out, and a lot of salespeople pushed back at the time. Mm -hmm. A lot of salespeople said, "I'm not going to do this thing called electronic mail." How did it work out for them? Uh, everyone right? is doing everyone. it. Yeah. And then a lot of people said, "I don't need a website. I'm not going to do a website." How did it work out for them? Then a lot of people said, "I don't need to do video." How's it working out for them? It's like mm. it never does well to push against the marketplace. Just yes. go with it, folks. Go with it, and you're going to be dramatically more effective. And again, keep asking yourself, yeah, but would it help us induce more trust? I love that because what you said earlier is like, even though some of the methods are older, they still apply today. 
And if you think about like salespeople and CROs and companies are talking about how do we build trust with our customers and build relationships with our customers, those conversations come up in every single meeting there is, right? Customers, trust, relationships, revenue. Yet when times are changing and there's new opportunities and better ways to build trust with our customers, these same folks don't even want to explore it. So it's like, to me, it's like exactly what you said. The, the core fundamental principles do not change. Like building trust, relationships, great customer service, yes. retention, taking care of freaking people, your customers and your employees. But how you do that can change and does change over time. And to your exactly. point, if, it's just that simple, right? Like the principles are the principles. Principles are eternal. Platforms are finite. Facebook is finite. Google's right. finite. Now we're going to use them and apply those principles of trust with them for as long as they bring us value and as long as the marketplace is there. But the marketplace eventually is going to move because it is a platform. We know when it started, therefore we know eventually it's going to end. And then there's something else that we're going to all be using. And when that occurs, you shouldn't have to adjust your business model. You're like, okay, we apply those same principles of trust. We're just going to bring it here now to this new platform right. until it is rendered and effective. It Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, you mentioned Facebook and some of your platforms. Like, I'm very curious from your perspective, because you've been creating videos longer than I even yeah. thought about creating videos. But you know, last couple of years, short form content has hit the scene and it's freaking, it's important. It's relevant. It's big time. What are your thoughts on how short form content has really came on the scene the last couple of years? And, and what do you think of its role now in modern B2B companies? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, Short form content, and this is really specific. When I think that, I'm really thinking short form video, yeah. uh, like a TikTok or, yes. or like a YouTube Shorts. Um, it's just one of those things where companies come to me and say, well, "You know, should we be doing TikTok?" I'm like, "We should be doing what the marketplace is asking for. What they're asking for is to see the thing. Now that means, yes, we should be doing video." And from that, once you develop a culture of video, you have many opportunities. Long-form video for your sales team. Short-form video for social media. Medium-form video, potentially for, let's say, your website or certain platforms like, let's say, LinkedIn, which is more of a medium form, right, in terms of length. And so the point, the, the point is that we've got to start somewhere. We start with the ability to produce the video. Like, you, Alex, do a really good job with repurposing things. I've got a YouTube channel uh, for one of the companies I have. It's called Saltwater Fishing University. And so what we do is long-form video. They're like episodic. It's like 20-minute videos. But at the same time, we'll chop those up, and we'll take the best from them, and we'll make YouTube shorts out of them. right? And from that, it's very, very effective. So I'm not ignoring the marketplace. I'm saying, okay. Let's see if we can have a one plus one equals three. And so we don't set out necessarily to create short form. We're setting out to create content, show a story, and then we, we look at it and we say, okay, how can we show that in a really compacted, short version, version and leverage another platform? In this case, for us, it's YouTube Shorts. So I think Shorts is going to be a big part of things moving forward. But I got to say this, and you've heard me say it before, Alex. People's attention spans are not shorter. I read that crap again today yes. in a really well-respected um, 
like publication. And I'm like, what the heck? No. What has gotten shorter is our patience with not getting what we want, how we want it, when we want it. But it's nothing to do with attention spans for love of all that's pure and holy. Okay? We're not goldfish. Yes. Because if it was attention spans, that would mean that nothing could hold our attention anymore, which would mean long-form content and podcast and Netflix and Amazon Prime and Hulu and everything else, football games, soccer games, the World Cup, everyone's watching stuff and consuming content. I, I love when you put that post. I was like, thank you for saying that because it's spot on. Yeah. Basic point, World Cup. I just sat down and I watched it for two hours or three hours or whatever, you know, however long the match lasted. It's like, why did the person, why were they glued? They were all in. They were emotionally attached to it, right? And so the question is, can you help to produce content where people will stay attached to it? Maybe it's that curiosity gap. At the World Cup, the curiosity gap is, are they going to win? That's the gap. And so you want to watch to the end to see it. So work on creating that gap maybe with your content too. You're going to see that people stay a long, long time. That's the truth. Us humans have not devolved. Right. It's just like I have, I have you know, newer customers or prospects that'll show me videos like, and I'm like, why are you doing seven second TikTok videos? And they're not, <laughs> and they're not performing, Marcus. And I'm like, and they're just doing silly things because they think it's, that's what you should do on TikTok. And I'm going, oh gosh, and, yes. and they tell me, they're like, because people's attention spans have shrunk. And I'm like, no, they haven't. The patience for shitty content. That's what it is. I mean, so people will sit down and watch or stand up and watch content as long as it's interesting and engaging and relevant to them. And if it's not, they're going to tune it out. And guess what? They're going to tune out that seven second video just as fast as they will that one minute video if it sucks too. So yeah, so important that you said that. 100%. And you know, one last thing I'll say about that too is yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I don't need everybody to watch my videos to the end. Right. In fact, I want my videos to be designed in such a way because I'm educating my ideal prospect to turn some of those people away. That's the whole purpose. Save yep. everybody time. 30 seconds in, they're like, oh, yeah, not a good fit for me. I can see now I don't want that particular product. That one, I don't want that particular service. Everybody just won. And they left the video early, but they got what they wanted, right? And so just keep that in mind, too. You know, our average customer has watched over, uh, with my pool company, has watched over 30 minutes of video. We have the analytics on this. They will take the time to watch the video. <laughs> they just, and, and one last thing I'll say about length of video. Length of video is very, very Oftentimes, it's consistent with where they are in the buyer's journey. So if, let's say, it was a swimming pool, and I'm coming to your house tomorrow, Alex, to potentially sell you a pool, the chances that you watch 60 minutes worth of educational pool content tonight before I come over tomorrow is very high because you don't want to screw up. You don't want to waste $100,000 on the wrong company, right? Whereas if you're just, just barely thinking about a pool, there's a good chance you're not watching an hour's worth of content tonight. Because it's not that big of a deal to you. That's not where you are yet in the journey. So important to note that, guys. So important to note that. The buyer journey, where they're at, different content hits at different times and different stages. So true. So pivot a little bit to the last part of this uh, the show. You did a series on YouTube a while back. It was called The Balance. And I watched a few yeah. videos and I got to see kind of, you know, family and you trying to kind of balance the, I mean, maybe not balance is the right word, but just you know, do good in both areas, family, raising kids, being a good husband with, with very ambitious dreams and goals. I mean, you're, I see you speaking on stage. I see you producing content. I see you working with your team, with customers. 
How do you figure out a way to do well in both of those areas? Uh, I'd love to hear your answer for those ambitious entrepreneurs and people building careers out there. No, I, I do have like this amazing career. I get I get paid to travel and give, you know, talks, uh, keynotes and whatnot. And uh, then I own a few other companies and I spend a few hours a week with each one. And that's where I am today. And it's been an amazing ride. And one of the things that has been has had the greatest impact on my family is unlike what you see a lot of times, Alex, where they say, you know, when you're at work, be at work, when you're at home, be at home. I integrate the two a lot. And uh, so because I go on all these business trips, I take a child or I take multiple children all the time. I don't hesitate to do that. I homeschool my children because we don't want to be tied down by anything. So so we designed our life so that they could pick up and go whenever they wanted to go with me. So like my oldest daughter, she traveled all over the world with me. By the time she was 14, she'd been in like multiple, multiple countries. And, you know, I was literally like giving keynotes and she's walking around Copenhagen while I'm giving keynotes. Right. That's so and cool. That changed her life completely. She finished high school early because of that. Right. And she like everything she's done, she's done sooner just because she has a different perspective. So my point is, I look to see how I can integrate the two together. I think that's one of the keys to life. I also, also think it's important to recognize that you're probably not going to ever find perfect balance. And, uh, but what you can find is joy. And the joy in your rhythms. And the rhythms of life are like seasons. When you're starting a business, your rhythm might be, I am just spending so much time with the company. But then as the seasons of life change, you might be able to spend way more time with your family. But hopefully you keep an open communication the entire time and you're looking for the opportunities to kill two birds with one stone, to go on that trip and bring somebody with you, right? And the last thing I'll say about this is as a parent, I gauge, and you'll probably appreciate this with daughters, Alex, but I gauge the relationship, the individual relationship I have with each children on different factors, but one main factor is how many inside jokes do I have with each child? Mm. And the reason for that is because you have an inside joke with someone when the thing, the experience only happened with you two and nobody else gets it. Mm. And so if I have certain inside jokes with each child, it means that I've created enough experiences of just us two together where they felt really, really special. Our thing to share. That's cool. That is cool. I love that. I'm going to implement, I'm going to steal that one for sure. Um, how do you, so I imagine that if you've got a trip coming up or something um, that have you ever had where multiple children want to go on the trip and you can only take one, like how does that whole dynamic work? Because I mean, my daughters would be like, me. <laughs> yeah, it has. But what I had done is, you know, we, we basically said, once you're 14 years old, I have four kids. Once you're 14, mm -hmm. you get to go with dad by yourself pretty much wherever you want to go. That's just how it works. And uh, so yeah, that's why my, my son, who's now out of the house, he's traveled with me all over the world. My oldest daughter out of the house, she traveled with me all over the world, right? And my 15-year-old starting to travel with me. She couldn't through COVID, but now she's starting to travel with me. It's the same thing. But as a family, we're going to do two or three trips a year. And mm -hmm. so we're in the, always where I'm working, or they're always where I'm working. And so put it all together, and it's a really beautiful thing. Great rhythm.
I love, I love the inside jokes thing because that's an actionable type thing that you can assess and then you can yeah, you go can build, you can build upon, right? Yeah, exactly. I love that. Marcus, where can people find you? Where should they look for your content, books, social media? Pretty much the same place you can find my man, Alex, which <laughs> is, I've been living on some LinkedIn and, you know, I'm a firm believer and not trying to be a jack of all social media trades because you'll end up becoming a master of none. I made yeah. the commitment to become a master, uh, at least, you know, put all my energy in LinkedIn. Uh, LinkedIn is as important as my email inbox. And so uh, connect with me on LinkedIn if you're not already connected with me on LinkedIn. And uh, I'd love to see you there. Or you can just email me directly, Marcus at MarcusSheridan.com. Marcus at MarcusSheridan.com is an easy one to remember. But find me on LinkedIn. Make sure you get the book they ask you answer. It will change your business, I promise you, if you implement the plan. And the plan is definitely there. Well, I appreciate you for being on the show, Marcus. And to close the curiosity gap, if you're listening now and you're wondering, because we do get asked these questions a lot, is there Sheridan, Alex Sheridan, Marcus Sheridan, is there an actual blood relation? And to our knowledge, there's not, but we are brothers in spirit. So I appreciate you being on the <laughs> show, man. Be. <laughs> you should be, we yeah. Should.